Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot recognize Christ as king. The gospel makes no sense to the natural man. It is foolishness to him, we've seen in Corinthians. Lost people's hearts are darkened. Their minds are darkened. They are spoken of as blind, as I see here, spiritually blind. Cannot see the kingdom of God. We, are not, we don't believe and then we're born again. We're born again that we might believe. God has to heal our spiritual blindness before we can truly see our desperate condition in need of a Savior and Christ as that Savior. And that's what's going on. Darkened hearts and minds are the mission field. Know that. You know, we've been talking about talking to people about Christ, about asking these, the, them these two questions. And we just need to know that darkened hearts and minds are what we're trying to reach. In one sense, it's like preaching in a graveyard and telling people to live and repent and trust Jesus. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 tells us. Spiritual blindness is the real problem. And, you know, but we're called to reach into that real problem with the power of God for salvation. Everyone is born spiritual blind, spiritually blind. And that's why we need to be born again. And Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born from above, unless you are born of the Spirit. See, in one sense, Paul was called to do the impossible. He was called to do the impossible. He was called to open eyes. But the truth is, he couldn't open any eyes. We can't open any eyes. God works through us as instruments to open eyes. We know the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that, that's, that gospel is Paul's responsibility and it's our responsibility, as well as to see that that gospel is properly applied. And that's mainly what we're going to talk about today. We are called to do the impossible. We are called to give sight to the blind. See, we started out in Acts talking about witness being the one word summary. And we're coming close to the end of the book of Acts. And we see that God does, through our witness, He does save people. He does grant repentance and faith. He does open eyes with his gospel. Thankfully, we have his power, his gospel, and we are just ambassadors of that truth, and he uses us greatly. Acts 1.8, you remember, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Notice, the power comes first, and the witnesses. We all receive the Spirit when we come to faith. We have that power, same power that raised him from the dead. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's really kind of what you see happening in the book of Acts, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, the gospel going forth. And that process is still happening. You know, book, in chapter 28, we'll see the book sort of ends, but there's no wrap-up because the process, the Spirit is still working to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
A little bit of review. We've, we've seen Paul complete his three missionary journeys as we talk about. Of course, this is another indifferent missionary journey to Rome that he's in the midst of in chains right now. But he's finished the, the third missionary journey. He was arrested in the temple. He was doing nothing wrong. He was under a vow. Lots of lies made up. They did try to kill him. He was rescued, really, by the tribune who examined him. And then this plot to kill him comes to light. So the tribune rushes him to Caesarea. And he's there tried by Felix. Felix sort of keeps him in prison as a favor to the Jews. Uh, then Felix is replaced by Festus, and he's tried by Festus, who's trying to figure out what to say about him since Paul has appealed to Caesar to be delivered from the plots of the Jews. And now he'll be before Agrippa and once again share what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And you see, like I said, we'll have a little bit more information given. We've seen already what happened in Acts chapter 9. Right? We've seen him talk about it in, in 22 as we've gone through that. And so this is really our third time sort of seeing what happened to Paul in his conversion. Two times him sharing his testimony about what happened, what we saw in chapter 9. But Paul, we're talking about, he is called to open eyes. That's why I titled it Open Eyes. And we're going to look at verses 18 to 20 uh, this morning. Flowing out of that, what does it mean? What does it look like? What is the purpose of us having our eyes opened by the Spirit with the gospel? Now look, Jesus teaching, he said, so that they may turn from darkness to light. So that they may turn from darkness to light. So the first part, like I said, open eyes turn toward the light. When we can see... We walk in that light, and we walk in a certain direction. What is darkness in Scripture? Is it just nighttime? I mean, sometimes texts are talking about being nighttime. But that darkness, it's a symbol as well. It symbolizes all that is opposed to God. It symbolizes evil, rebellion, sin, unbelief. One of Satan's names is Prince of Darkness, Right? And those who rebel against God, we don't, see, we don't think about this. Before I was a Christian, I would have never told you I was following Satan. I would have never said that because I wasn't wearing all the dark garb and sacrificing animals and, you know, doing, you know, the upside down star in the circle and all. I wasn't doing all of that stuff. But see, really the key characteristic of one who is under the prince of the power of the air is rebellion against God. That's what he woos us to do. That's what we do from the womb because of our lost and sinful condition. You see that in the garden, him wooing Adam and Eve away from trusting God so that they would be their own authority, so that they would rebel against God. Those who rebel against God are walking in darkness with him because they have been blinded. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the ones to whom the gospel is foolishness, if you look at the context, meaning the ones who are lost, who are without the Spirit, who are, who are not trusting in Christ, to them the gospel is foolishness, and here's why. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world, Prince of Darkness, has blinded their minds, the minds of the unbelievers, to keep, what's the goal of that? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. To keep them from recognizing who Jesus is. That's a scary thing. If you are 
not believing in Christ this morning. I started to say I don't want to scare you, but I really don't care. I really do want to scare you. It's a, it's, it's a terrible situation to be in, to be trapped in blindness and unbelief, to not see Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, to not be willing to turn to Him for salvation, to be taking the chance of answering on your own before a holy God for all of your sins. See, darkness, blindness is a state of ignorance or error. It's especially a state of ignorance or error about moral and religious subjects. Scripture calls it wickedness or impurity. Those who are unbelievers are blinded, and blinded, it says, by Satan. So how in the world can we overcome that? In case you don't know, he's way more powerful than you are. We need an advocate. We need someone to deal with that foe and with that condition. Someone who can bind the strong man. Someone who can give light and life to those who are in bondage. And, and thankfully, we have that. But see, Jesus says when he's at work in a person, when, when God is saving a person, their eyes are opened and they turn from darkness. Here's, here's a more simple test. You know, do I know Christ? Am I walking in darkness? Am I walking in the light? Self is at the center of the life of those who walk in darkness. Self is at the center. You are your highest authority if you're walking in darkness. Over and above God's word, you decide what is right and wrong for you if you're walking in darkness. See, people, you saw this in the book of Judges if you've read in the Old Testament. People do what is right in their own eyes when they're walking in darkness. And especially when God's word counteracts their desires. They will find a way to nuance it or explain it away or just flat rebel against it. But no one who's walking in darkness, and that means practicing it. It's the, it's the characteristic of their lifestyle. They may be very religious. So you can be religiously lost as well as non-religiously lost. You can come to church and smile and raise your hands and say hallelujah and then the rest of the week walk in darkness or live like you don't know Jesus. That's revealing something. Look what John says. We think about the Apostle John as the Apostle of love, right? And he is. Love rightly understood. But in 1 John 1, 5 and 6, he said, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. So this is the message directly from Jesus. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If Now watch this. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we claim, there are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, but their life would convict them otherwise. If we walk in darkness, if that's really what we love, if we, that's really what we justify. Yes, we want Jesus as a ticket out of hell into heaven, but we don't want Him messing with our life, and we will choose sin over Him most of the time and try to, you know, addiction and bondage and all of these words we'll use to excuse it and explain it away. But the Word says if we're walking in darkness, we lie. We don't know Him. We're not in fellowship with Him. 
See, that's what Jesus came to do is set us free. And He sends His witnesses then with His gospel. And Paul here in the context, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Let's talk a little bit about light. What does light, if darkness symbolizes all that's in opposition to God, what does light symbolize in Scripture? It's a symbol of God's purity, wisdom, goodness, truth, glory. It's a symbol of all that is in submission to God and His Word. Jesus, proto-example, His Son, the light of the world. And we know that in Him, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Him we are the light of the world. We're little lights in the big light, which is Jesus, His light shining through us. But Scripture calls us the light of the world. And those who follow Him walk in the light. You saw that from John. The contrast he's drawing there, and we'll see a little bit more of that same set of Scripture in a minute. <clears throat> Jesus is the light of the world. Those who know Him, those who follow Him, those who've had their eyes open, actually do turn from darkness to light because they've been changed. We'll talk about that in a minute. But to walk in the light is to trust Jesus and walk in the wisdom of God's Word, rightly interpreted. To trust Jesus and walk in the wisdom of His Word. See, Jesus is at the center of the life of the person that's walking in the light. Jesus is our treasure if we're walking in the light. We trust and follow Him in the paths laid out in Scripture even when we don't like it or think it might not be right, or don't understand how it could be right. We're trusting Him and following Him because of His life, death, burial, and resurrection for us. Here's the contrast John drew in the epistle. But if we walk in the light, like if we walk in darkness, we don't know Him, right? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. So what Jesus is saying is the one that he works, he works through the witness to open the eyes of the blind so that they see the truth about their lost condition and turn to him for salvation and turn, turning, turning. It's first an inward turn that results in an outward turn, but turn from self and sin to Christ and salvation and to walking in a new direction. If we know him, we walk in the light as he is in the light. He is the light of the world. See, what we're seeing here is Jesus telling the Apostle Paul what he's sending him to do is work with the gospel, repentance in the life of the people. Repentance. It's a big word. It's an important word. Repent, shorten it down. It's a word that is ignored in the church, like hell and sin and some other hard things. We, want, we just want to make people happy. But he's talking about repentance here. I mean, how do I know that? Well, look how Paul applied what Jesus said. And we'll come back to, to verse 18 in a minute. But when he tells about Agrippa that he was faithful to the call of Christ, here's what he said he did. He said he declared, in verse 20, he declared, this is how he applied what Jesus told him to do. He declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles. This is what he was declaring. And remember, he's preaching the gospel and this is how he's applying it. Okay? 
He said to the Jews and the Gentiles, and everywhere he went, basically is a way to say that, that, now watch this, this is what he said, they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. That they should, this is how Paul preached the gospel and applied the gospel. He, called, he, he preached the free grace of God for salvation. And then on the basis of that, he called people to repent, to turn from darkness to light. To turn from unbelief to faith. To turn to Jesus and Jesus' ways. But he's preaching repentance. See, this is if you go read the book of Luke and you get to the very end, what Jesus says is to be done is that repentance is to be preached to all nations. It doesn't even mention faith. Now we know where repentance and faith, where one is mentioned, the other is implied. But what Jesus said to his apostles was preach repentance. For the forgiveness of sins to the end of the earth. I mean, we have no category a lot of times in the church for repentance because we've just turned it into a work. We've turned it into us cleaning up our own act, something we do to prepare ourselves. We've misunderstood repentance, therefore we have no category for it. But we see in these verses that a faithful witness includes a call to repentance. Paul his message is from Jesus, and the message is the one that opens eyes and calls people to repent. So what is repentance? It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. It's a change of the, the mind that changes the direction or the orientation of a person's life. Look at verse 18. He said he's sending him to open eyes so that they will turn from darkness and from the power of Satan to the light and to God. This is what God works in us. It's a work of grace we see in the definitions. He works repentance and faith in everyone that He saves. And there's no contradiction between repentance and faith. None. Now look back at verse 20. What he preached was repentance. That's how he applied it. How he called on people to turn. Repent and turn to God and bear, basically bear the fruit of repentance. That's what John the Baptist said. See, that's, if you go back and read the same message as John the Baptist when he called people to repent, he said, and bear the fruits in keeping with your repentance. See, repentance is not first and foremost just changing what you do. That's the fruit of repentance. Repentance is getting a new heart, changing the direction of the heart, the direction of the soul, which is the work God does. See, see that? This, God grants what He requires. He grants repentance and faith through the preaching of the gospel, but we have to be faithful, faithful to call people to it when we're preaching the Word. See, our life should prove the fact that we have repented in our hearts, that our hearts have been changed, that we have a new heart, therefore new affections, therefore we walk differently. See, Jesus is not just a ticket out of hell. The new covenant is a new heart and power and forgiveness and grace to walk in a new direction. Look at this. this. You won't improve upon this definition. This is from Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 87. This is the answer to the question, what is repentance unto life? Look at, look at this answer. What is repentance? 
Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Wow, stop. Who's the responsibility on God to work that grace in us? It's a saving grace whereby a sinner... Now watch this. The Spirit brings us to this point where a sinner out of the true sense of his sin... So we see the desperateness of our condition, our sin and our lostness that we deserve condemnation from God. That's, not, that's just the beginning. And apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So we, we see our lostness, we see mercy available in Christ and believe who Christ is. Does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God. See how that matches up with what Jesus said? Now watch this. So we, we see our condition we fall on our knees, or metaphorically, or really, we cry out to God for salvation. We receive Christ as Savior because something has changed in us. So apprehension of the mercy of God does with grief and hatred of His sin. God causes the child of God to hate sin. He works in us to hate sin and want to be free from it, not want to justify it. Does with grief and hatred turn from it to God now, this is what we purpose, we're striving after. With full purpose of an endeavor or striving after new obedience. God works a strong desire for obedience to His Word in the child, in the, in the person that He saves. I mean, I can only tell you my own experience, but I remember that kind of thing vividly. I remember being scared to death of judgment. And if you were saved as a child, you may not remember any of this. You may never known a day when you didn't trust Jesus. But I was 26 years old when God got a hold to me. And I was afraid to go to sleep because I knew what I deserved and I knew where I was going. But by His grace, He also revealed to us and refreshed us in and brought us to a new understanding of who Christ was, that He had lived for us and died for us so that we turned to Christ and trusted in Him and understood almost nothing. But there was a new... There was, there was something new about me. Now, this guy who used to mock people and, and, and make them uncomfortable now is reading the Word and wanting to know it and wanting to know Christ and wanting to obey. And my friends thought I had gone crazy. I had in a spiritual sense, right? They didn't know what to call it. They said that Duncan got religion. I'm like, well, no. He got Jesus. But, but suddenly I didn't want to do the things I'd done before, and I wanted to do new things. Christ things. Church, be with God's people. Those crazy people. Now I wanted to be with them. See, repentance is a change of a person's attitude before, toward God. It's, it, it's, it's going from hatred to love. Did you know hatred of God is disobedience to Him? It's not some feeling that you gin up. It's rebellion against Him. And love of God is keeping His commandments with joy. 1 John 5, read it. But a person who's been saved has a new attitude toward God that, if in, that impacts their decisions and actions, their choices. So it involves the idea of turning from one way of thinking, which is darkness and loving that, to a new way of thinking, which is light and loving that. And then if, you, if your heart has really been changed, your life is going to look different. 
I mean, people who know you, would they, would, they have, would they think you love yourself more or Jesus more? Would they see a difference if you were saved as an adult? Does your life testify now to devotion to Christ and seeking to walk in the light? See, we're striving. Notice the definition of repentance. It, we're not made perfect. That happens when we're glorified. But if we're saved, there's a striving after new obedience. There's a conviction of sin that comes along with the package of salvation. There's a hatred of it and a grief over it and wanting to be free from it. Repentance is a change of a person's attitude. It's their eyes being opened. Their attitude changes towards God. Their attitude changes towards the Word. Toward His grace, we turn from darkness to light. Look, let me give you a couple of scriptures that illustrate this. This is in no way a contradiction to free grace. Salvation is a free gift to you in Christ. It comes through repentance and faith, through turning, trusting, receiving Christ. Look at Ephesians 2.8. Never quote, if you can help it, don't quote verses 8 and 9 without quoting verse 10. But look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, your works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. See, He did it. His grace. It's a work of grace. Created, recreated, born again. We're in Christ Jesus now. For, look what for. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, grace is free, but grace changes us. Grace takes us from darkness to light. Grace gives us a new heart. Grace makes us love Jesus and want to live for Him. Look at Titus 2, 11 to 14. This is what grace teaches us. Look at this. Titus 2, For the grace of God has appeared, when and how? In Jesus, right? And he's proclaimed it. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Look what grace trains us to do. Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What does that mean? To renounce darkness? We talked about. And to and live self-controlled. See, and it empowers us for that. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. To turn from darkness to the light. What's the heart? Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself. Now watch this. Jesus gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Good works, obedience to Jesus. Works according to the Word, produced by the Spirit, flowing out of faith. See, they don't make us acceptable to God. They, they, that's what flows out of one who has been redeemed by Christ. But see, he, he gave Himself both to purify us and to make us zealous for good works. I wanna, I, I, you may have confused this morning. I don't think so, but maybe you did make clear. Good works are never the basis of our being reconciled to God. Not our good works. Jesus' good works are. 
Jesus lived for us. He fulfilled the law for us. He was perfectly righteous. He took our guilt and died and paid the penalty for our sin, which was not just the physical suffering on the cross, but God poured His wrath out to His people on His Son as our advocate, as our Savior, and He drank that cup dry saying, It is finished. So we're saved on the basis of Jesus, His death, His righteousness, which is imputed to us. So good works are never the basis of our salvation or justification there, or sanctification anyway. However, they are the inevitable result of a genuine experience of turning to God in Christ. If you have your eyes opened by the Spirit through the Gospel, your life will look different than it did before your eyes were opened. You will love Jesus and want to follow him. You will love his brother, you know, his brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be passionate about them and love them and serve them, and you will be passionate about his gospel. See, good works are the result of faith in Jesus and of Jesus' work, the Spirit's work in you with the gospel. And I said inevitable. It is inevitable. It's impossible for you to be changed on the inside. To go from darkness to light and it not change the way your life looks. And you see that grace trains us to repent. Out of love for Jesus and His Word, we turn from darkness to light. This is all through the Bible. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 is just one example. I know they don't have a slide for this. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Listen, call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that, me, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Those whose eyes are open, repent and trust Jesus. We have repentance and faith. Conversion, that's what we call conversion. And repentance and faith are two sides of the one coin of conversion. Just like, you know... The heads and the tails. We flip coins, right? Will it be heads or tails? But it's one coin. It has two sides. Conversion has two sides. There's repentance and faith, and they're related, right? There's no way to come to faith without repenting of unbelief and turning, turning inwardly, which will result in a turning outwardly. If you trust Jesus, you will growingly obey Jesus, and you will grieve and hate it when you don't. If you're using Jesus, you'll use Him to make it okay. To not worry about it. Using Jesus won't get you to heaven. Trusting Him will. But He works all of that in us through the preaching of the gospel. Two sides of the coin. Eyes are open, born again. Open eyes turn from darkness. First point. Second point. Don't worry, this point's not as long as first point. Second point, open eyes. I just I have to put the blessing before you. Open eyes receive both forgiveness and inheritance. Look quickly back at verse 18. He says, To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That. See, if God works repentance and faith in us, we get the total package. All the benefits of redemption are ours in Christ, purchased by Christ for us. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. I mean, there's no forgiveness without turning to Christ. And a place 
among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So the benefits we receive from Christ, all purchased for us by Him, applied by the Spirit through the gospel, we receive forgiveness of sins. If you will be forgiven, it will be in Christ Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He's the only one who's lived in perfect fulfillment of the law, establishing a righteousness before God that we need, that we don't have. He's the only one who's died to pay the penalty for his people's sin, and he's the only one that offers you salvation as a free gift if you will receive it. You won't receive it unless your eyes have been opened by the Spirit to turn from darkness to light. But if God's at work in you, working in you repentance and faith through his gospel, you have forgiveness of sins in Christ. Every sin you've ever committed or will commit was dealt with on the cross and he paid the penalty in full for it. It's either a full salvation or no salvation. He doesn't do percentages. If you're trusting in Jesus, all of your sins are dealt with. There's nothing left for you to pay. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be punished as any form of our being purified after this life because Christ did it all. He said it is finished. And look what he says. He says, they receive forgiveness of sins and a place. That right there, you'll see many translations take that and call it an inheritance, which is what it is and what it means. We are co-heirs with Christ if we're trusting in Him and everything that is His is ours in Him. Obviously, we're not becoming God, but in Him, we inherit the new heavens and the new earth. We inherit free and full life. Deliverance from death and sin and sickness and pain and suffering, all of that coming, right? And when he wipes away the tear, tears from our eyes, with him forever, we inherit with Christ perfection in our person and in our world that we are heading for because he is the light for us. And lastly, look what he says. They receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sanctification, just like justification, is by faith. Justification, God declares the, righteous, the, the, the believing sinner righteous while he's still in a sinning state. God justifies the ungodly, Romans says. God saves sinners. There's a lot of different ways to say that. But justification is all and fully based on Jesus, His death, His, his righteousness. See, when we, when we trust in Jesus, when we respond, when our eyes are open and we turn to Christ, we're united to Him and hidden in Him and declared righteous on the basis of Him. We're adopted into God's family. We're empowered by His Spirit. And He takes His Word. He sets us free from the power of sin. It no longer reigns over us. And He begins conforming us into the image of Christ. So justification is what Southerners talk about being saved. We like to talk about that part of it a lot, Right? And then sanctification is our growth in grace. But see, there's, there's some dangers out there for you. Some use justification to argue against sanctification. Oh, don't judge me. I've tr- I mean, and nobody wants to judge you, right? I've trusted in Jesus. I mean, I have people in my family who've told me years ago I took care of that. Don't matter what I'm living like now. Well, <laughs> your life reveals your heart. Jesus said those who know him turn from darkness to light. Be careful. If you've just come to faith in Christ, you be careful you don't turn into John the Baptist and beat everybody over the head. Well, he didn't even do that, but 
you know, zeal without knowledge sometimes, but be faithful. But some argue, some only have a justification faith and no sanctification. Some will argue actually against the two. We should never separate them or blend them. Some blend them so that we're saved by our works in some form. Some lose it all together and just talk about justification only. But Jesus said, those whose eyes are opened will turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They will be forgiven of their sins. They will have a secure inheritance in me and be sanctified through faith. They will grow in grace. See, the reformers carefully distinguished between justification and sanctification, but they never divorced them. They never blended them. Every soul that God justifies, He will sanctify. If we're not being sanctified, we were not justified. If we're not growing in grace, loving Christ, loving the light, seeking to walk in the light, we don't know Him. See, obedience is not a second tier if you want to be a higher sort of Christian. There's not believer and disciple. There's some bad theology that holds that kind of distinction. A disciple is a Christian. It's one whose eyes have been opened so that they've come to the light and trusted in Jesus. They have a new heart that now wants to walk in the light. What's your heart telling you this morning? You can easily see this is the goal of the gospel. Open eyes, repentant hearts, which leads, these lead to joyful worship and growingly obedient lives. What, what John calls deeds in keeping with repentance and what Paul calls deeds in keeping with repentance in, chapter, in verse 20. Have your eyes been opened? Have you turned from darkness to light? Have you stepped off the throne of your life? Are you now not the most important thing in your world? Would others say that you're more about yourself or about Jesus? I was convicted. We need to think about it. Are you confident in your eternal inheritance? I know assurance of salvation is something we struggle with and we should so that we'll be solidified in it. I'm going to give you some homework because I'm going to quit. I want you to read the epistle of 1 John. It's five little chapters. It won't take you long. It's written that you might know that you have eternal life, not just by pulling that one verse out, but by reading the whole book. Read 1 John and we can, we can talk about it. But I want to end where I started from John 3, but a different part. Just letting Jesus diagnose the situation again. In verses 19 to 21, he said, This is the judgment. That light, the light, that's him. And then the gospel flowing out of that. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But watch this, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May the Lord open all of our eyes so that we turn and trust in Jesus. To live as Christ. Let's pray.